Are you curious what it's like to be a short-term rental landlord? I was. So I had David on the show. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Financial Residency Podcast, where we are devoted exclusively to the financial well-being of physicians and helping you achieve the financial freedom you deserve. This is your financial residency without the long hours and sleepless nights. Let's welcome your host and primary care physician for your finances, Ryan Inman. What's up, everyone? Super excited you guys are here. Thank you so much for taking out the time in your day to listen to the podcast. Um, blessed to have you guys all here uh, listening, and hopefully you guys get a lot of enjoyment out of listening to a finance podcast. Before we jump into the show, I want to encourage you guys to go to financialresidency.com, which is where the podcast lives, as well as my blog. And I've been talking a lot about student debt, public service loan forgiveness, disability and term insurance, what to look for. I know we've had some guests on the show talking about a lot of these things. I've decided to write some articles on there to further your guys' knowledge in that subject. So check it out, financialresidency.com. Getting into today's show, I've got a good friend of mine, Dr. David Draginas, who runs the Doctors Unbound podcast. And if you guys haven't heard this podcast, it's awesome. He's really trying to make a difference here, and I think he's doing a great job. His podcast tells all about inspiring stories about doctors doing extraordinary things, and he is doing extraordinary things. He's uh, out of the Dallas area. He's an anesthesiologist by day, or I guess by night, because he's he does work a lot, but he's running this podcast, and I want you guys to check it out. That's Doctors Unbound. Today, we're going to be talking all about Airbnb, and you know, Dave and I were chatting one time, and we were kind of going back and forth exchanged some stories and he had mentioned that he runs uh, uh, an Airbnb for one of his rentals. And as you guys know, I'm a, I'm a huge money nerd and uh, love real estate. So naturally, of course, I'm going to be nosy and start asking a little bit more about Airbnb because I don't really know what goes on in that side of the short-term rental market. All I've had is some long-term rentals. And so I was curious how it went. And as we started getting in, I said, you know what, let's stop here. This is amazing. Let's talk about this on a show talking all about Airbnb, what to do, what not to do, what to expect, what it's like, because I didn't know these things. And, you know, it, it actually is not a real, uh, it's actually a pretty good physician side gig or a side hustle if you want, if uh, if that's something that you're interested in, or you can literally have the strategy to buy a rental property and just keep it short term. It's not something that I have done yet, but after the show, I might be a little bit interested when my rental comes due in August to check it out. So, I'm going to jump right into the show with David, and we're going to be talking all about Airbnb. Here we go. Awesome. Well, David, thank you so much for being on the show. Really excited to have you here. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to share some interesting conversation here with your guests. Of course. So David and I talk a lot on some various other things, and and as we were chatting on one day, we talked about Airbnb and David is like an expert on Airbnb. He's got a, a unit that he does. He's been doing it for a while. And I was like, we need to talk about this on the show. So excited to kind of jump right in. I have several long-term rentals that I manage or actually have a property manager that helps me with it. I was doing it long distance and now I'm obviously in town but not doing it. And I've never ever jumped into this Airbnb scene. So I'm curious, you know, what are your thoughts on it? What are some of the things to consider before becoming a host 
on Airbnb? Yeah, so I started reading a lot about Airbnb. Of course, it's kind of in the national consciousness, maybe internationally, even with the share economy. So I had read a lot of things about it. We had this home that was, uh, you know, a rental, single family home. And I was interested in seeing if we could get more of a return than with a traditional rental. So that was kind of the initial impetus, kind of started learning more about Airbnb. I would say some things to consider because this is a little bit more hands-on is, are you interested in interacting with people because it is more hands-on unless you get a property management company to do that for you? So that would be number one consideration. And then number two, if you are, then I would suggest maybe doing a little bit of reading on Airbnb, but jump on the app. And if you already have a home that you're considering, jump on the app, the Airbnb app, and take a look and see what kind of homes are being offered, You know what the price points are, what the uh, schedules look like, what the calendars look like, are they full, are they not, and get a feel for it. So I know it takes a lot of time, right, to kind of jump into this, or at least that's my initial kind of expectation. And maybe this is my hurdle and my bias, if you will, towards Airbnb. I feel like there's a lot of time to turn over, to get things booked, to kind of dig through the app, to find out what things are, like how much of a time commitment. If I decided to pull one of my long-term rentals off, I think I've got one that's coming in August off of a long-term year lease. I just decided, you know what, let's try Airbnb for six months. What am I really committing to at that point, I guess? I would say, you know, your time commitment is going to be kind of twofold. Number one, there's going to be certainly a learning curve, just like there is with anything. So your time commitment at the beginning is going to be higher because you're learning a completely new business model. So you're going to have to learn the app. You're going to have to learn pricing strategies. You're going to have to learn how to best furnish your home, things of that nature. So I would say there's initially a learning curve. And then from there, yes, it's going to be a little bit more time intensive than a traditional rental. But I guess it depends on your perspective. You know, my wife and her family and my wife is is very involved. She's she's the one who runs it mostly. And, and I, you know, I help out on the side. But she comes from a background of caring for and running an assisted living facility. And that is 24-7, 365, dealing with seniors and their families. So when she went from that to Airbnb, she's like, gosh, this is cake. So it just depends on, you know, on what your frame of reference is. So definitely way less intensive than that, but more intensive than a traditional rental. And I think having the perspective of higher returns, you know, that's what you have to balance out. Yeah, that makes total sense. And, you know, I know that you're a very successful physician. I don't know who listening knows of your story or not, but we'll make sure we get into a little bit of that. And I was curious, like, you know, how are you doing all the work you're doing and on call and all these things alongside of basically Airbnb and doing this? So it it makes sense that your wife is kind of stepping in and, and helping at least some of the management tasks. But, you know, what are maybe some of those management tasks that you're kind of referring to. I know it's not as crazy as uh, what an assisted living place would be doing, but you know, what are some of the, maybe the, just from a high level, what is she doing from a management perspective? Sure. So the first thing that you're going to do is you're going to communicate with the potential guests. You know, you're going to get inquiries through the Airbnb app and people will have questions about your place. Now, interestingly, Airbnb rewards you for communicating quickly. 
So typically they say about an hour response time is what you want to shoot for. So sometimes even a quick message like, we'll get you more information soon, just basically having a response is rewarded. But basically, you know, you're communicating with the guests. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, you're a bit of a salesperson, right? You want to tell them about your place in an honest way, but you also want to get the booking. So good communication skills are definitely key there. Yeah. So I've only stayed in, I think, Airbnb two or three times. This is something like from a real estate perspective, I really am curious on, you know, how do you turn over units? Like what is that from a management perspective in between bookings? Like how quick can you book them? What is it in the day in the life of someone who manages this type of rental? So basically in between bookings, you are going to clean and turn over the place. So there's a cleaning fee that you charge in addition to your nightly bookings to help with that. And then I think probably most people will have a cleaning crew. So that adds another layer to your management. So you definitely need to turn over the place, make sure it looks good, is clean. So that comes into it. So I think kind of like at a hotel, most Airbnb homes will have a check out of you know 10 or 11 a.m. and a check-in of somewhere around 4 p.m. And the reason for that is you need that time to turn over your unit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, it really is a replacement for a hotel. And you know, all these questions are kind of popping up in my head here. So like from a financial standpoint, how do I know how much the house is going to be rent for? You know, if I look at it from a long-term rental standpoint, you know, my house rents for $1,500 a month. And if I break that down, it's 50 bucks a day. But comparing it to a hotel model where they jack up the prices on a weekend, how does that fluctuate with Airbnb? Do you jump in and change the prices all the time? Like, where do you start basically from that? Sure. So what I would recommend is if you're really serious about giving this a closer look, there's a software called AirDNA. Now it is a paid software. It charges you $29 a month. Cancel anytime. I am not an affiliate, not promoting anything that you know I'm getting a kickback for, but we used it and I actually still have a subscription to the software. And I felt it was a worthwhile investment because I had a home that I was considering doing this type of business with, and I could input details about my home, specific details about the neighborhood, you know, zip code, information about how many bedrooms and bathrooms the home would have. And then they really give you a breakdown of what your average daily rate would be, how it varies by season, really pretty good data to give you an idea of what you can make with your Airbnb rental and even breaking it down for a daily rate and then monthly what you can expect to make. Because there is, depending on your market, there can be some seasonality to what your Airbnb makes. So seasonality, I mean, obviously changes, you know, summer in San Diego is going to rent for more than winter in San Diego, but well, maybe not. I don't know how that seasonality technically works, but I could imagine like, you know, just when we were in college, you go down to Mission Beach and during the the nine months of the school year, we could rent something for 2000 a month, you know, and share it between like four guys. And then summer comes around and it's 2000 a week. Well, I know how they're making all their money and, you know, we're just essentially kind of paying their bills during the year. But for Airbnb, not only seasonality, but like I'm assuming, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but like even weekend pricing or maybe what's in town, you know, maybe there's a big concert or something. I don't know. Absolutely. Those things make a big impact on it. And it's basically your local market. So 
That's why I like that AirDNA software because I could really break it down. But some other things to consider, if there are any hotels nearby in your city, jump on the hotel's website, start playing with the bookings, start playing with the reservations and check out you know, what the hotel is renting the room for during the week, during the weekend. You're typically going to see a jump in the weekend. And then also, like you said, either get a calendar of local events or, you know, you can probably use the hotel software in this way as well, because they've invested thousands and thousands of dollars to predict their price algorithm there. So you can utilize it. But like you said, there's definitely variations according to season, according to weekday or weekend. And then of course, when there are events happening, you know, that's going to impact it as well. So I'm in a uh, North Dallas suburb here and um, in Frisco, Texas, and we have tons of sporting activities here. So if there's a sporting event, like I think they have the Division II National Championship that they've started doing here. There are concerts. There's a local MLS place here. So there's all these activities that can impact it. I think they've even added a conference tournament for like one of these uh, like college basketball tournaments. So there's all this stuff that's changing. Get a calendar from your city or from you know the nearby cities and get a sense of what's going on because that's going to affect right supply and demand and it'll affect your prices. Yeah. And I think that's fascinating that there's something like a third party software like Air, was it DNA? Air DNA, just the letters DNA. Yeah. Oh, perfect. We're talking to a bunch of physicians. So they get it, right? <laughs> right? So Air DNA, right, that has popped up to support Airbnb. Yeah, I think that's fascinating that they've created something that's even better than what Airbnb is really providing on their platform. And, you know, comparing to your competitors, I guess, again, you know, know your market. And, you know, before you kind of jump into all this, make sure you know what your local market can support and maybe go through and look at some of the listings and see what your competitors are going to do. And there are doing, I love the idea of looking at what hotels do. I mean, they spend not just thousands, they spend hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars right. on all their software. You know, I don't like copying competitors. I always believe that you need to be yourself and unique and be better than everyone else, you know, for you to earn the business, except for when your competitor spends millions of dollars <laughs> trying to create some software, then you can kind of piggyback on what they're doing, but still be yourself, be better than them. Well, you're using it just to see trends, right? Because exactly. you know, your, your listing is not going to be exactly what a hotel room is. Your home has different benefits, features, and things that guests will find worthy of booking for. But, you know, you use it to see trends and to know how you can, you know, adjust your pricing. Mm -hmm. That makes total sense. And, and what works in your area, right, the little suburb outside of Dallas, it does not work for my area, right? And I live right. in Las Vegas. So we've literally got, what was it, 42 million people a year come visit Las Vegas, and, you know, there's events and concerts and sporting events and conventions and all sorts of things here at all times. So I don't know how much that affects. Uh, maybe like when CES is here and it's, you know, a ton of people for that convention, it might make a big difference. But just, again, know your market. I think that's a really, really great advice. So coming from the long-term rental, right, because this is where I kind of live in this, this area of long-term rentals versus short-term, I don't have any furnishings or anything like that in my rentals. I, you know, I make sure that, you know, the carpet's nice and it's painted and fridge and microwave and all that stuff works, but I don't have couches and TVs and things. So what do you kind of put into these rentals? I mean, maybe if it's your house, your current house, it's very, very different, but what would you put into these rentals from a furnishing standpoint? Sure. Absolutely. So you're definitely going to have to furnish them. So there's going to be a cost with that. 
unless you are like a guru of home decorating, some basic sort of principles to follow. I forget where I read this, but basically the advice was classic decor in a clean space that's clutter-free. And I think that just hits it. Think of the photo aesthetics first. So don't spend thousands of dollars on the most comfortable Tempur-Pedic mattress. Get a good mattress, but think of the aesthetics of the picture and the room first, and then Mm. that comfort second. And obviously, you're not going to put the most expensive mattress in there. The other things to consider is to maximize your beds, because you can think of it as the cost of your home per pillow. So the more beds, the more people you can sleep in it, theoretically, you know, the higher you can charge. So things like sofa sleepers that pull out in the living room, you know, if you have a master, you probably want to, you know, a good king size beds because that's what people are looking for. And then as many beds as you can get into the other bedrooms, assuming you have multiple bedrooms, bunk beds or full beds that you can either have apart for kids or bring together to a company of multiple couples, things like that. Basically, think of the beds that you can put into the home because that will increase the amount that you can charge. That's crazy to think about. You know, from the flip side of this, I'm thinking, you know, I have a three bedroom, two bath place and all this, like, I'm not trying to force six beds or seven beds or whatever it is into that to charge more money on a long-term rental because that's not how people want to live long-term, right? But the pricing is the exact opposite, which is I mean, honestly, I find it fascinating because I never really thought about that way. You know, you're talking about don't buy the nicest bed and don't do this, but you do have to have some comfort there. Otherwise, they're going to probably leave you a crazy, nasty review, right? Absolutely. Um, So do you get stuff at like Ikea and you just kind of furnish it with Ikea stuff or does it need to be nicer than that? I mean, I look at what what we have and it's like half our stuff is probably Ikea. So I don't know. I would furnish a place for Airbnb with nicer than what I currently live with, but... I'm just curious from someone who does this. Yeah, I mean, I think IKEA level is reasonable. I think we've got, you know, one of these Tempur-Pedic type mattress, not in every bed, but I think in a couple of the beds, because we, some of the furniture we already had was in great condition, and then some we added to Mm. finish out the home. And I think we added like one of these Tempur-Pedic type mattresses, but it wasn't that brand. It was something that could have been on sale, but had good reviews. So it gives you a chance to be a bargain hunter, right? Some people, I think, although I haven't utilized Craigslist or things like that, some people look out for deals, maybe not for, you know, obviously not for a mattress or beds, but for some of the other decor. There are ways that you can be creative to bring your costs down. To give you an example, I know we went, um, when we were initially furnishing a home, I think we went to Ashley Furniture. You know, I mm-hmm. found a salesman there. And we knew that we were going to be purchasing a decent amount of furniture. I think we were like somewhere in the 5K range. And we were able to negotiate with them. It's like, okay, they had some sales going on. I said, okay, if, if I do a big purchase, what else can you give me? You know, you use your negotiation skills and, you know, you figure out ways to get value, right? You don't want something that's going to break down easily because it's going to get used. You're looking for that value. It's funny because as we're kind of going through the conversation here, and it didn't really occur to me until literally like right now is this is kind of a lot like eBay, but it's like for a house. I'm assuming pictures matter, you know, in the listing, Mm -hmm. the details of the listing matter. And and then you've got basically the reviews. I'm assuming, please maybe elaborate into this, but I'm assuming you need to have good reviews or no one's going to want to stay at your place. So, you know, similar to eBay with, you've got a hundred percent five-star feedback kind of thing. 
on Airbnb, I'm assuming that's a, a big deal, right? Reviews are a big deal and having negative or low reviews can really ding your listing and affect you. Fortunately, we haven't had anything like that. And I think there are some things you can do to help you along the way. So number one, for the first however long, my wife would go and meet every guest that checked in, especially when we first started. It, part of this is just her. Like She's a great host. She loves to serve and host and make people feel mm-hmm. welcome. It's just in her nature. So I think just that warmth would come through and she'd be able to almost like tour the home for them. Say, hey, here's the house. And people really love a clean home. So that's the first thing they would notice. It's like, oh man, this is really clean. Oh, this is really nice. So that initial presentation, like you said, investing in something that's that's pretty nice and clean is huge. And then if you can do that, at least in the beginning, when you get your first couple of reviews, is to kind of tour the home and show them. You make them feel welcome. You could show them, like we had a little, you know, house rules slash guidebook prepared that kind of showed them, you know, how do you work the TV? What's the Wi-Fi password? We included things like, what are our favorite restaurants in the area? Important emergency numbers, you know, stuff of that nature that shows Mm. that you've been thoughtful. And I think that goes a long way. I personally believe that if you do that personal welcome down, you can't always do that. I think it actually encourages people to take better care of your stuff. And my thought process is going way back to when I was like in college and I worked for like Miller's Outpost, one of these, uh, you know, clothing companies. And I remember we had these greeters at the front of the door. And your only job as a greeter was to look at everybody, come in, try and make eye contact and say welcome or hello or something like that. And I remember thinking to myself, like, why do they do that? But they do that because the data shows that if you make eye contact, it decreases theft. So that's my philosophy is that when people can put that home to a name and a face and a person, it personalizes it. And hopefully people will take better care of your stuff. We found that by and large, people who utilize Airbnb are great guests. We've now used Airbnb on our vacations multiple times. You treat the place like it's somebody's home. And I think by and large, that's the case. You're going to have some bad experiences, you know, pretty rarely here and there. But by and large, people usually treat the place pretty well. So if reviews are kind of a big deal, right? I'm I'm Mm -hmm. really thinking like feedback in terms of eBay. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you deal with guests that are pissed off? And maybe you're just such an awesome host, you don't have it. But if someone was super pissed or, you know, I mean, obviously the happy ones, it's easy, we know, but I'm curious, like, how would you kind of deal with with that? So one thing you can do is shortly after they leave, you can send them a personal note and say, hey, you know, I really strive to take great care of my guests and take pride in my rental. If there's anything that wasn't to your satisfaction, I would appreciate you telling me privately so that I can fix it for the next guests. So you can take that angle. And the other thing is if I believe if a guest, if you do not review the guest, then I don't think that their review shows up on your profile. So let's say there was just, because we, we haven't had that experience of an angry guest. People pretty much love our place, but we have had like one or two bad experiences where the person kind of trashed our place. Nothing like big broken, but like, left it in like really rough, dirty shape, you know? So then our question is like, how do we handle this? Because if we review this person and give them a negative review, well, then they're going to negatively review us and drive our listing down. So we've chosen to not review those guests. 
okay, you know what? We're going to cut our losses. We're not going to rent to you in the future. And we'll just kind of, you know, go our separate ways. And how does Airbnb protect you in that sense? Like what if someone just came in and just destroyed your place and caused a bunch of damage? So they have a million dollar insurance policy, but I believe that kicks in after your personal insurance policy has been exhausted. That's the only recourse you can't. You've seen it on the little app and it's funny that I've maybe noticed this, but maybe it's the weirdo in me. But like if you got sick and you took an Uber and you like throw up in their car or something, like they charge you a cleaning fee and they have this whole like procedure. Like does Airbnb have that kind of procedure if anyone like destroys a bunch of stuff in your house? Sure. So let me just add one other thing and you can have a deposit in there. You know, some of these websites that talk about Airbnb and teach you about it and whatnot, some of them say don't have a deposit because it decreases your bookings. Well, we have, I think it's a $500 deposit, which is, you know, fairly high and we have no intention of removing it. We have plenty of bookings. We feel like it gives us a little bit of a buffer there. And I also think If anything, it may even have the guests self-select themselves. So if you're looking at it and and that booking fee is looking like it's too high for you, then maybe you're not the right fit for our home. So that gives you some level of protection. You know, we're talking mostly about Airbnb today. We also have the home listed on VRBO. And Mm -hmm. I will say that Airbnb's customer service, while not like amazing, is way better than what we've experienced with other platforms. And how important is it to be on those other platforms? I think Airbnb is definitely the dominant player. We added VRBO slash HomeAway to sort of help get our home full of bookings. I would say we still get a few from VRBO, but I will say this, Airbnb's platform, their app, the flexibility of what you can do with the schedule for a host is so much better and then even calling in and utilizing their customer service is is so much better than what we've seen from the competition. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's going to be competitors popping up here and there and you know, I think that's fascinating that the biggest and best one still has been the biggest and best. That's why they're the biggest and I think that's why they're continuing to dominate because their app and because of the, you know, behind the scenes customer service. Mhm. And so you don't have to talk actual dollar amounts here. But I'm curious, like, do they charge you to list it on the platform like eBay does? Or is it you list it for free and then they take a percentage of rents that flow through? Yeah, so Airbnb's fees, they do a host fee and then they do like a guest fee. So they'll take a cut from ours. And I think that's around 3%, the host fee. And then they'll also charge a guest fee, something on top of that. And that ranges from 6 to 12%, depending on the dollar amount of their booking. So the bigger dollar amount booking, they'll charge the lower end of that percentage and obviously the, you know, vice versa. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. And that's pretty affordable from a a host standpoint. Uh, Guests, that maybe is taxes or something like the equivalent, but that makes sense. Well, when you consider the traffic, if you you want to think of it just from a marketing standpoint that it sends your way, you know, and the functionality of their app, I mean, it's pretty amazing what they've been able to do. Yeah. So, you know, when we're looking at listings, I know there's, I almost hate to keep saying eBay on this, but, you know, I know that when I craft listings and do all these things that there's some little tips and tricks for that. Is there a way to kind of not game the system, but, you know, maybe that you do certain pictures a certain way or phrase something a certain way? Is there, is there things that you can do to kind of make your listings 
pop? I think so. I don't have any background in eBay. I, I never was really on that platform. But if you understand anything about marketing, I think you need to treat your listing as if it's an ad. So mm-hmm. the first part, beautiful pictures. When you scroll through the app, the Airbnb app, you're going to see like your lead picture and then there's going to be a headline underneath. So if there's one tip I can give you is invest in professional photography. We started off because we needed to get the house up and listed with just, you know, kind of iPhone pictures. And even though my wife is pretty good at taking those pictures, you just cannot compete with a professional photographer that's got the proper lighting, that knows how to use the proper angles, looking down a long angle down at a property. It makes a huge difference. I think professional pictures for a standard three or four bedroom home, you know, 20 pictures or so will run you maybe two to $300, depending on your market. It's a worthwhile investment. Get professional pictures done. And then there's even, I think, some kind of thought process behind what should be your lead picture. That's the one that people are going to see first when they scroll through the app before they click on your listing. We have a picture from inside our home, which is kind of like the living room looking onto the kitchen. And it's a very nice picture, very long, broad view that gives you a really good picture of the main entertaining space of the home. I think unless your property has some amazing outside feature that you're trying to highlight, like let's say you're an ocean view or a lake view or something important like that, I think having an interior picture right like that is a better option. There's so much low competition out there. Like I've just looking today in my market, most of the homes are like showing you the first picture is just a picture of the front exterior of the home. It's like, why do I care? Why do I care that the brick is red? You know, it doesn't really add a whole lot. So that's the first thing I would say is invest in beautiful pictures and think about what that lead picture, because really that's an ad. You're trying to get people to click on your listing. Think about what you want that to be. The second part would be an eye-catching headline. Eye-catching, there's a little bit of SEO in there. So ours is something like clean and charming, name your city, retreat. And then we have Mm -hmm. in parentheses, how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms of the home. So, you know, we want to be known for clean and charming. This house is clean. It's cute. It looks homey. That's basically what it is. But, you know, you can think about how your home is unique. Maybe there's some feature that you want to highlight and you can include that in your headline. Then once people click on it, they can have some kind of a good punchy descriptions when you actually fill out the description once people are actually clicked on your listing. And then the part that is sometimes overlooked is people will click on your profile because they want to know who they're renting from. So having a very nice picture where you're smiling and having kind of a friendly and trustworthy and interesting little profile there can go a long way. So those are kind of the four elements of your listing. And if you think about it as an ad, as marketing, I think that will help you. Those are great ideas. And, you know, you're not selling real estate, right? You're selling the trip that they want to have. Right. So, yeah, why would you take a picture of the front of your house versus the part that they actually care about, which is inside the living? Or if you're, you know, renting from San Diego, Orange County, and you have a nice ocean view, one, I'm jealous, but two, you should show people that because right. that's probably what they really want to see when they rent the place. So, and we sold two properties last year 
you know, three bedroom, like 1800 square feet here in Vegas. And it was like $350 or $300 to get professional photos. So mm-hmm. you're, you're spot on right there. And really you don't have to do it more than once. It's not like you're selling and buying and doing all these things. So a couple hundred bucks, you're already going to be furnishing, doing things, spend the extra money. I just know that from a real estate perspective, that makes a whole lot of sense. So, right. The other thing I would add now that I'm thinking about it is if you think your home will have sort of an avatar guest, what I mean by that is who do you think your home most going to be appealing to? Think about them when you're decorating your home and when you're taking the pictures. I think traditionally for family vacations, probably the wife or the mom is going to be the one who's looking through and doing a lot of the booking. So that's something to keep in mind as far as your decor, how you present it. And the other aspect of it, which we didn't touch on, is having a business-ready home. And I was reading an article, and they said that having a home that's business-ready can add about 10000 a year to your Airbnb. And it doesn't take much to be able to say in your listing that your home is business-ready. Basically, you need a desk or a workspace with a nice, comfortable chair. So you know, we have an area like that in our home. You know, and you can advertise that. And now you can capture, especially if you're near any kind of major city or business areas, now you can capture that sort of corporate clientele that are looking you know, to maybe get some work done on their trip. That's really good advice right there because that's something that you might not think about. You know, what does a business need when they ship one of their employees over to a certain area? You know, what do they need? Internet connection, comfortable chair, desk, mm-hmm. whatever it might be, printer, something like this. That, that would do it and boost listings. I mean, if that increases it by $1,000, you're probably going to get your money back the right. first year. So that's definitely some good advice right there. The other thing that helps with the business ready and also really any listing is we now have a smart lock on our front door. And so that makes it easier because sometimes you can't be there you know, to let them in. Maybe they're coming in, they've got a really late flight or their flight's been delayed and they're going to get in at midnight and you can't be there and you know and you don't want to have stress on your guests because they think they got to make it there by a certain time for you to meet them then you know we've got a smart lock and you know you can get them the code and that works really well as well i have become a little bit of a of a fan of these smart locks cuz we actually have one on our house and like now i hate having keys i never <laughs> use my key i get annoyed when i have to use my key like if the lock because they, you know, they're ran on batteries. They do die. You got to change it out. It's not a huge deal, but you know, it's died a few times, and I'm like, oh, I have to use my key. Like, what a pain. So I could totally see inside of one of these listings a smart lock, where you just punch in a four-digit code, you give it to them, and then you just reset the code when that person leaves, or you keep the same code for a period of time and redo it. That's uh, that's a uh, another great idea. So I'm looking at it here, and, and there's a lot of working pieces involved and I'm not personally, I'm looking at, I'm like, well, you know, it's not that big of a deal, but I know that a lot of people listening are really busy physicians like yourself and they might not have a spouse that could do this for them. You know, is Airbnb or VRBO or one of these type of, you know, share economy kind of bookings, like, is this viable for them? Is it worth it? I think for us, it's been worth it. I mean, Certainly, you can run the calculations, do some math, and see if you would prefer to do this with a full-service management company. Those are popping up left and right as well. We don't use you know, any kind of management company at this point. I think the numbers that I've seen is fees of 10 to 20% of your revenue. 20% seems a little bit high to me. 
but that would be a consideration. Of course, you know, you've got to run your numbers. But if you're a full-time physician like I am, then I think you definitely need some key team members in place. Every person's got to decide if they have those team members or can develop those team members. But for us, you know, it's been a very worthwhile endeavor to this point and actually interested in picking up a few more properties. And maybe if, if we get a few more and get them optimized, then, then we may be looking at a, uh, you know, at a management company at that point. Cause at that point, you're like, how much, you know, revenue versus freedom. And, and, you know, you start making these other calculations. Yeah. Because this essentially takes what could be a passive investment, right? Rental real estate and makes it quite active. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely less passive than uh, just having a long-term rental. I've got a long-term rental as well. It's not completely passive, but uh, definitely less management than something like this. But the returns are, you know, are significantly better for something like this. So it depends on what's more important to you, I guess. Now you sound like a financial planner. It depends. <laughs> it depends. And what's more important to your situation. I mean, that's, that's like a, a perfect financial planner right there. If this doctor thing doesn't work out, I'm going to talk to you. There's hope for me. There's always room over here, bud. That's cool. Well, I, you know, thank you for being on. I really appreciate it. I think this was fascinating to get a little bit of a grip on and, and to understand it. And I think people are going to really enjoy the show. So thank you for being on. Absolutely. I'll give people one more tip here. My tip before you leave, if you're booked more than 25%, three months out, raise your prices, your price too low. Awesome. David, where can they hear more about you? And please promote your podcast. It's an awesome podcast for physicians. Brian, thank you again for letting me come on the show and talk about Airbnb. My podcast is called Doctors Unbound, where I interview doctors doing all sorts of cool things outside of clinical medicine. I also interview different experts who can help physicians. So hopefully Ryan will get you on the show real soon as well. And thank you for giving me this opportunity to kind of show where I'm, if I can say, a little bit unbound myself. I like real estate. I've always been interested in real estate as an investment vehicle, and we've discovered this Airbnb phenomenon, and it's uh, working pretty well for us. So thank you for allowing me to share with your audience what we've found out so far. So people can reach me, doctorsunbound at gmail.com. They can uh, come over to doctorsunbound.com and use the web form there. If you just either search for my name, David Draginas, or Doctors Unbound on any of the uh, social media platforms that you like to use, I'm sure you can find me. I would love to hear from you. Ask me any questions about Airbnb or anything else related that's on your mind. I would love to uh, interact with you. And for everyone listening, David is also in the the financial residency group. So you can always ping him in, in that group as well. And you're going to you know see his posts in the group. So you know if you haven't joined already, join, uh, what was there, close to 600 physicians and physician spouses in the group now. It's been growing pretty, pretty rapidly, actually. So come join us in the group, ask questions. Uh, I'm sure David would love to hear from you, whether it's privately or in, in the group. And uh, Dave, thanks again for being on the show. Thanks again for having me. All right. Well, I know that was a little bit different. Uh, We talked specifically on Airbnb for pretty much the whole show. And if you've ever thought about doing Airbnb, this either swayed you one way or the other. You're not really going to be sitting on the fence anymore after hearing all about what he's going through and how he's doing it. And him and his wife are, are kind of tag teaming this together. It sounds amazing. And I'm honestly really tempted to do this. 
I'm a little worried on the time commitment. My wife has no interest in this, so it would be me doing this. And I'm I'm interested though because the returns are higher, and you know me being the money nerd, I'm gonna look and see what I can do uh, to increase returns out there. So have to weigh the the pros and cons on it. But uh, you know, David, thank you so much for being on the show. I really encourage you guys to go check out his podcast, Doctors Unbound. Uh, you can search for it just on iTunes, like how you found my show, Financial Residency Show. Or you can go to doctorsunbound.com and, and check them out there. We've got some really cool interviews coming up. So I'm, I'm really excited for that. Have a great week and I'll talk to you guys next time. Thank you for listening to the Financial Residency Podcast. This episode has ended, but your financial residency continues online. Head over to financialresidency.com where you'll find links to any resources mentioned in today's episode, along with other valuable tips and information that will help you regain your financial freedom. That's financialresidency.com.